Awesome. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Philippians, or I'm sorry, the book of Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I said Philippians because I had in my mind where our next series is going to be. Luke chapter 17 today. Uh, next Sunday, we're going to start a brand new series um, working through the book of Philippians. And so some of you are familiar with that book. A lot of you have studied it and uh, maybe even studied it extensively. Others of you, uh, you're thinking, what is a Philippian? And so either way, regardless of where you land, we're going to be looking through the book of Philippians starting next Sunday, brand new series. So today, Luke 17 is where we're going to start. We're going to move around just a little bit. But uh, I want to ask you a question real quick. Um, are you one of those who likes to position yourself to see important people pass by? Are you one of, one of those kinds of people? Maybe so, maybe not. Maybe you, at least at some point in your life, have positioned yourself to get just the right spot to see somebody pass by at a time. Maybe it was the, uh, you know, the parade, March 17th. We have this little thing called St. Patrick's Day around here. So maybe you were at the parade one, you know, one year or every year, and, and you've got a son or a daughter coming through and passing by and you're one of those that would get your spot, right? You'd put your tent up, you'd get your chair there and you would station yourself at a, you know, one of the squares or on a certain spot on a street and you would wait for your child or their school or that special person, whoever it is to come passing by. Maybe, maybe that's the time when you've done that. I remember being at the masters one time with a buddy of mine who was in our church before they moved away, uh, Riley. And, uh, he invited me. I went with him to the masters and, uh, there we were on the six hole elevated T and, uh, uh, T and all par three. And, and we got right there after they tee off, they come walking by because that was the hole where Tiger Woods was about to tee off. And so we thought, you know what? I just want to get there when he passes by. That was my spot. Just last, just yesterday, uh, within 24 hours or so, about 24 hours on the spot, actually, my family, Susie, me, and April were up in Carrollton and the summers, they were all there as well, watching a cross-country meet. And, um, and, and if you've ever been to a cross-country meet, then you know you have to get your spot. And, and you get there usually at the beginning, and you watch all the runners take off. And then a lot of times what you do is you'll go to another spot, depending on the course, and you'll wait for them to pass by. And there I was standing there waiting for Hannah to come by and Drew's race waiting for Drew to come by and waiting for Rylan to come by, right? And then a lot of times if you're, if, you, if you're really into it, you'll go running to another place on the course, right? And you'll go sprinting over there like you're in the race yourself. And, and you'll, you'll get there, you'll weasel in and you'll elbow people out of the way. You'll get right there on the rope so you can see your child come passing by, right? Maybe you're one of those kind of people that likes to be there when a certain person passes by. But let me ask you this question. So when was it that Jesus passed by for you in a way that changed everything. Do you remember where you were that time when Jesus passed by? In a way, not just I showed up to church and I checked the box, sadly all over this country today, there will be people just like us that will occupy a seat just like yours and, and, and they'll engage right in the service. They'll sing the songs. They'll listen to the guy who's speaking or, or, or whoever's preaching and then they'll leave. And sadly, the vast majority of the people who come and, and then leave will leave unchanged. I remember 9-11. I remember being here in this church. I'll, I'll, I won't go through the whole backstory. But I was a member here. I was a member here before I was the pastor here. And I was, had finished seminary, had come back, and, and uh, was a member here. And uh, the previous pastor had resigned. And so they asked uh, if I would fill in preaching. I guess they figured, well, he's been to seminary. Let's just throw him up there. And, uh, and so I would fill in. And that particular Sunday, I was here, but I wasn't preaching the service. It was the Sunday after 9-11. And I remember, I remember for about two, maybe three weeks, it was absolutely slam-packed. And then everything went back to normal. 
So when I talk about where were you when Jesus passed by, I don't mean when was the last time you were in church. When was the last time? Or do you remember that first time when Jesus passed by your life in a way that changed everything for you? To where you began to look at life differently. You began to be motivated differently. You began to live differently. And other people would look at you and say, you know what? Something has changed about you. When was that time that Jesus ultimately passed by? Do you remember where you were physically? Maybe you were at home. For me, I remember being a little kid, and I remember, many of you have heard the story, I was at my house, and my mom shared the gospel with me, and I went downstairs, and I went out in the backyard, and that's where I gave my life to Jesus. That's kind of where he, figuratively speaking, passed by, and everything changed for me. That's where my relationship with God started, was in my backyard. That's where he passed by. Maybe for some of you, you were, you were off at college. Maybe you were in a church like this. Maybe you were in vacation Bible school. Maybe you were at work. Maybe you were like one person in our church I talked with last Sunday in our lobby, she was a college student, never been to a Bible study, got invited to a Bible study and, by, by some other, other girls there on campus, and she said, well, what's a Bible study? And she went, and she, she met Jesus that night. That's when he passed by. Do you remember where you were when Jesus passed by? Do you remember where you were emotionally? Because for a lot of us, right, if we could take inventory, we were all in a lot of different places emotionally. Maybe you were at rock bottom when Jesus passed by. Maybe for you, you were at the end of your rope. Maybe for you, you were at a place where you didn't know how you were going to get out of the bind that you were in. Maybe you were at a place where you were empty. Maybe you were lonely. You were isolated. Or maybe you were on top of the world and you had everything that you needed. But it was in that moment that Jesus passed by. And everything changed. You know, in the New Testament, we see many instances where Jesus passed by, and he passed by in very literal fashion. Luke chapter 17 captures one of those examples that we actually looked at last Sunday in our message. And I want to start there, and then we're going to jump over to Luke chapter 18, and then we're going to springboard over to Luke chapter 19, and we're going to look at three different specific, and there are many others, but three specific instances where Jesus passed by. And I want us to see the change that came as a result of that. And as we do this, what I want you to do is to sift through your mind, has there been a time where Jesus has passed by my life similar to this, and has there been a time where it was in such a definitive way that everything changed for me as a result? Luke chapter 17 is where we're going to jump in. The gospel writer, obviously, is Luke. He is capturing details of Jesus' life and ministry. Again, last Sunday... We looked at the same passage of scripture, but today I want us to look at it and just focus on how Jesus passed by the condition of the people and the change that came as a result of it. So let's jump in. Luke chapter 17. Let's begin in verse 11. We're going to read the whole chapter like last Sunday, just reading down through verse 14. So it says, while he, Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed, they were healed. So if you see in your, in your mind today, you see these 10 leprous men. Where they were physically was there kind of on the roadside between Samaria and Galilee. Where they were emotionally could not have been worse. They were physically, as we, again, as we looked at last Sunday, I won't go into a lot of detail. They were physically at a place where unless someone intervened, they were going to die because of their condition. 10 of them with leprosy. To the point to where it was so obvious now, they had begun to go through the protocol that was required. Standing at a distance, separated from other people, standing on the roadside, as Leviticus would paint in Leviticus 13 and 14. 
They would cover their mouths and they would cry, unclean, unclean. They were socially ostracized. They were isolated. They were physically isolated. They were uh, uh, as well spiritually treated as though they were unclean. They were in the worst of ways. And then Jesus passed by. And when he passed by, he would look at them with compassion. He would look at them with mercy. They would call out to him. And the Bible says that he would heal them. He would cleanse them. And it was in that moment that everything would change. One of them would come back and would glorify God for what he had ultimately done. And it was Jesus who ultimately made the difference. And he made the difference when he passed by. You look to Luke chapter 18, one chapter later, interestingly, Luke adds another story with some similar dynamics, but some significant differences as well. Luke chapter 18, this is a man not with leprosy, but this is a man who is blind. Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 35, it says, as Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped, and he commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight, began following him, glorifying God. When all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Can you see the man sitting there on the roadside? Not a lot different than the people that we pass, sometimes on a daily basis, depending on what part of town you're in or where you're headed. For this particular man, however, he was blind, he couldn't see, totally and completely dependent on the people around him for even the most basic of necessities in his life. If he wanted food, he would have to ask for it. If he wanted to be relocated, more than likely, he would have to ask for assistance. On this day, he was on the roadside heading into Jerusalem, or or heading, heading, uh, heading into Jericho, and as he's situated there on that roadside, totally and completely dependent on everybody around him, at a place where he could not see, he was not able to care for himself, he was blind, the only thing he could do was to beg. Much like what we see when we drive into certain parts of our city. And much like for today, the people had become so accustomed to seeing him there. They had become so insensitive to the plight of this man's life that whenever he cried out for help because Jesus was passing by, they told him to shut his mouth and to be quiet. But Jesus, with compassion, with grace, as he's passing by, He calls for the man to be brought near, and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? And when he says, I want to regain my sight, the Bible tells us that it was there on that spot as a result of him meeting Jesus because Jesus passed by that everything changed. The next chapter, Luke tells yet another story, one that may be a little more familiar to you. It begins in verse 1. Of Luke chapter 19. You remember verse 18, the story that we just read, the true story. Jesus was approaching Jericho. It was a busy day. Luke chapter 19, he's now entered the city. Luke 19 verse 1, he entered Jericho and he was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. 
And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. He was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. There's an assumption here that Zacchaeus had heard some buzz about who Jesus was. Verse 4, so he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. Do you remember the song? Maybe you learned about Zacchaeus and his height, right? I won't sing it because I love you. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for today. I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and he received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble. Can you imagine this? Saying, he is gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I'll give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, no, today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The passage tells us a little bit about Zacchaeus. Luke, incredibly attentive to detail, tells us in verse 1 that he was a chief tax collector. Not just a tax collector, he was the chief. He was good at what he did. Maybe the corner office. Maybe the extra week of vacation. Maybe a condo somewhere on the lakeside. Who knows? But he was good at what he did. He was the chief or a chief tax collector. I don't know what that may mean to you. But for many who study that period of time, what they see is that for a tax collector to become that good, they had to be able to collect taxes consistently and in a very successful manner. Well, what often happened is, is that the tax collector, as they would collect taxes, would not only collect for the Roman government, which put them in a precarious situation because if they were a Jew, well, then the Jewish people hated them. Because they were a sellout to the Roman government who was occupying their territory in the land of Israel. So for, for Zacchaeus, for him to be a tax collector, the Jews would have absolutely hated everything about him. You are a sellout working for the Roman government. And the way he would have become rich more than likely would have been by ripping them off, overcharging them, padding his pockets with the extra proceeds. Right? He was a place that, that, that when we read of him here in the book of Luke chapter 19, he was not just an ordinary person. He was on the top of the heap. He was rich. He was good at what he did. He was successful. He probably had a very loud voice. And yet at the same time, there was something down on the inside that compelled him that when he caught wind that Jesus was passing by, he didn't stay in the corner office and he didn't sit in the lounge chair out by the seaside. There was something deep inside of him that said, I need to meet this man. When Jesus passed by, everything changed. Where were you when Jesus passed by your life? You know, when we take a moment and we step back and we look at this world in which we live, there's a real simple principle. We're going to look at a couple of them this morning. A real simple principle. And the first one is this, that as we take inventory of the world where we live, what we see very quickly is that our world is filled with people who need Jesus to pass by. 
I would even add a descriptor to this, that our world is filled with people who desperately need Jesus to pass by. When you go punch the clock tomorrow and you go to work, regardless of where you are, in a hospital, in a classroom, if you work uh, out in the public or if you work somewhere in an office complex, regardless of where you go or what you do, when you go punch the clock in an office setting or in your workplace, you are going to look around and see people who desperately need Jesus to pass by. They're probably very good people. They're probably people who do a lot to help others. They may even be incredibly generous and charitable. And yet, at the end of the day, they don't have a relationship with God. And they desperately need Jesus to pass by their life. For those of you that are students, when you go to campus tomorrow and you go to your first class, you go to homeroom, you go to whatever it is your school day looks like, whenever you go there, if you take a moment and pause and look around, you're going to see classmates, you're going to see a faculty, and you're going to see staff who desperately need to see Jesus pass by their life. If you get on a plane this week and you fly somewhere to go to work and you look around that that cabin of that aircraft and you look front and back and to each side, you're going to see people who both work for that airlines and who are taking the same flight to the same destination as you who desperately need to see Jesus pass by their life. Our world is filled with people who need to see Jesus pass by. Every single way that we, that, that, that we, every direction we look, we see people who need Jesus to pass by. Not just because they are experiencing emotional bankruptcy where their life is empty. Not just because there may even be some level of moral bankruptcy, right? Where they've just blurred the lines of purity of what God wants for their life and they're beginning to suffer the consequences of that. Not just people who are bankrupt socially, they feel isolated and lonely and excluded. Not just that, but there are people who are bankrupt in the most uh, important way of all that's spiritually. And the Bible describes what this looks like in a passage that some of you are really familiar with. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Paul is writing to the believers in the city of Rome. And he says, for all of us have sinned. Every single one of us. Paul would point to himself. He'd say, all of us have sinned. Paul even considered himself the chief of sinners. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, top of the heap, best at what he did. Paul would say, hey, when it comes to sinning, I'm the chief sinner. I'm the best. I'm the top of the heap. Nobody worse. That's what Paul would say, the man who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He says, all of us have sinned. Every one of us in this room have sinned. It's the biggest issue of our lives. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us what the payday of that is. And a lot of times we, we're blind to this. We're numb to this. We miss this significance that it's not just that, oh, yeah, I've sinned. Well, I've kind of come to expect that because it's sort of kind of done it my whole life, right? We sort of gloss it over. But what we miss is the simple fact that Romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death. That in the eyes of a God who's perfect, a God who's holy, a God who's pure, when he looks at us, he sees through those lenses of purity and perfection and sinlessness and perfect holiness, he sees our sin. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's what he sees. And what the Bible tells us is that the only thing that's worthy of is separation from him because he's so infinitely more holy than we can even imagine. It's the most bleak picture that we can read of in Scripture, our condition before Jesus passes by. It's the worst picture we can ever even imagine. Paul would go further. He would, he would write a letter to the believers in Ephesus. If you want to flip over there with me, you can, or you can read it on the screen behind me. In Ephesus, he's writing to a group of Christians here in the city uh, of Ephesus. He writes this book, Ephesians, in chapter 2. He describes that bleak picture of what it's like to, to be without a relationship with God before Jesus passes by. And he says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, he says, and you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, he says, we all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, 
indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. It was the weight of sin hanging over life without God. Full of self, empty of God, dead in sin. Verse 12, look at what he says a little further, chapter 2. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Look at those words that are highlighted in that passage, what it's like before Jesus passes by. Already earlier in chapter 2, dead in our sins, separate from Christ, strangers to the promises, strangers even to relationship with God, no hope without God in this world. That's the picture of life before Jesus passes by. And this world is filled with people. That's the commentary of their life. I would even go so far as to say, if percentages are accurate, that in this room right now, today, there are people who are good, who help people, who are generous, who are kind. But without God, this is the commentary. Not my perspective, the commentary of your life before Jesus passes by. The tables turn in Romans chapter 5. As Paul writes in chapter 5, verse 8, but God, <laughs> see that's not the end of the story, right? but God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't sit back on some heavenly hillside with his arms folded watching us saying, when you clean yourself up, then maybe I'll bless you. And he didn't sit back from a distance and wait to see if we could do better and wait to see if we would somehow get holy and go to church or clean up or, you know, our language. What, God, he didn't sit back and wait on any of that. But what Romans 5, 8 says is that while we were yet sinners, when we were empty and bankrupt with nothing to bring to the picture, God said in that moment, I'm going to demonstrate my love for them and I'm going to send my son, fully God, fully man, Jesus, to die in their place as their substitute, as their sacrifice so that they can have a shot at having a relationship with me that he demonstrates his own love and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us Ephesians 2 Paul kind of elaborates and he expands that a little bit going back to Ephesians 2 verse 4 he says it this way but God being rich in mercy <laughs> because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and he raised us up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, right? You didn't get good enough for this, so that no one may boast. And in the perfect time in history, when mankind needed it most, Jesus passed by. God in the midst. Fully God, fully man. Taken a cross that we deserved so that our sins could be forgiven if we come to him on his terms. And ever since, 
He's been passing by. (laughs) People just like you and people just like me. For 2,000 years, sometimes even in settings just like this, he's been gently passing by and calling people to himself. Calling people to himself so that he can heal the hurt. Calling people to himself so that he can mend the brokenness. Calling people to himself so that he can draw those who are in isolation and loneliness into the beauty of community and relationship with the God who made them. Calling people out of sin into righteousness. Calling people out of guilt into peace. Out of sin and and guilt into forgiveness. And God has been passing by. Jesus has been passing by so that we can ultimately have life. And and I love the way that Luke captured his words in Luke 19, verse 10. We just read it just a few moments ago. When when he quoted Jesus in in that that, that last verse, verse 10, when he says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save, not to sit back and wait, but to seek and to save that which was lost. And, And I would even say, I would go far so far as to say this, principle number two today, that maybe even today, Maybe even right here, right now in this moment, he's passing by you. Just like he did in Luke 17 with 10 lepers. Just like he did in Luke 18 with a man who was blind on the way into Jericho. Just as he did in Luke 19 with Zacchaeus inside the city of Jericho. He just might be passing by you today. And maybe you find yourself at a place of brokenness or of emptiness or of isolation or of need. Maybe you find yourself on the top of the heap and yet today... For the first time in any significant way, he's passing by and you're looking for him. So how does he pass by? See, in Luke 17, 18, and 19, he passed by very distinctly. He passed by physically. Well, he's not here physically, right? As we're going to see in just a second, Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. God is still with us in a very real, genuine sense. But Jesus is not physically amongst us. He's not going to come walking right through here. He's not sitting beside you, right? So how does he pass us by today? If he passed them by physically, then how does he pass us by today? One way that Jesus passes by life today is that he passes by by creating a sense of unsettledness. Right? It's the sense that something is missing. Blaise Pascal lived in the 1600s, 17th century French physicist, or or philosopher, I'm sorry, mathematician and philosopher. Blaise Pascal would say it this way. He has a long quote. I I chose not to put it up here today. Summary of Blaise Pascal's quote is that in every life there is a God-shaped vacuum that only Christ can fill. In every single life, yours included, mine included, there is a vacuum, there is a God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled not by the material possessions of this world, not by relationships in this world, not by financial uh, success. It can only be filled by a relationship with Jesus because it is a God-shaped vacuum. And there are times that Jesus passes by lives just like yours. And the way he passes by is creating this sense of unsettledness that says something is missing in my life. Like Zacchaeus, I've got all of the, all of the wealth. I've got the healthy check, checking account. I've got the savings. I've got the retirement. I've got the accomplishment. I've got the relationships. I've got all of that. But man, somewhere in here, something is just missing. And it's that unsettledness that he uses as he passes by to prepare your heart to find what only he can fill. Sometimes he passes by, not by creating unsettledness. Sometimes he passes by, by creating this sense that something's wrong. He passes by with a sense of the heaviness of our guilt. 
over sin. See, without God, there's a reason for us to feel guilty. Everything changes once we know Jesus. There's no, therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But before God, one of the ways he often passes by is he creates the realization of the weight of our sin. There's this sense, and it's a little different than, than, than realizing that something's missing and that Jesus needs to fill my life. There's the sense of, uh, of guilt that something is just wrong. And you try to maybe numb that. You do a little bit better. You try a little bit harder. You clean up some areas of your life. You try to help a few more people than maybe you had in the past. But then you lay your head down at night on your pillow. And there's this overwhelming sense that no matter how much good I try to do. And man, I've been going to church. I haven't missed a day in six weeks. I've never done that in my whole life. But still, there's this sense that I just feel guilty. Something's wrong on the inside. Sometimes he passes by in a way that creates that sense of guilt so that it can be taken away. Look at what it says in John chapter 16. Jesus is speaking here, and he's speaking of the time when he would ascend back to the Father. For us, that's already happened 2,000 years ago. And he's speaking to some of his followers, and he says in John 16, John 16 verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. I mean, imagine this. They're probably like thinking, What? <laughs> I mean, you're going away? I mean, you're about to leave. We've been with you for all these three years, and you're going to leave, and you're telling us this is a good thing for us? He says, it's the, I'm telling you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. This is a reference to God, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I'll send him to you. Verse 8, and he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. See, the Bible uses that word convict. I think for a lot of folks today, they understand the word guilt. Just feel that guilt. Something's wrong in here. Something's not right between me and the God who made me. That's the Holy Spirit. It's the Lord passing by. So that that guilt can be dealt with once and for all. Sometimes he passes by with a sense of unsettledness. Maybe that's you today. You know what? There's something missing. I've tried everything, and there's still a hole in me. Sometimes he passes by by creating a sense of guilt that, you know what, something's wrong. And, and I, don't, I don't know what it is, but something's not right in me. I don't have peace. I don't have joy. I, I, don't, feel, I don't feel like things are right with me. Sometimes he passes by by creating this sense that something is wrong. But sometimes he also passes by through the conviction of the truth of the gospel. It's this overwhelming sense, not that something's missing, not that something is merely wrong, but that message is right. It's the sense of conviction, clarity, that everything that I've just shared about what it means to have a relationship with God that Jesus as God died in your place and that without him that we have no hope, no relationship with God. But if we turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus, trust him and follow him, that he takes our sin away and he removes the guilt and he never holds it against us again. And we have a beautiful relationship with God that never ends and the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and never are we ever at a place ever again where we can say that we're not with God. 
one way he passes by is when we hear that message. It's this overwhelming sense of clarity that that's exactly what I've needed to hear. And now's the time to receive it. That's God. Passing by. I can share this message a thousand times if God gives me time from now till the day I die. And there will be a large majority of people who don't know Jesus who will walk away unchanged. But there will be those that God taps on the shoulder, taps in the heart, taps in the mind, and says that's exactly right. And you need me. And maybe today, right where you sit, he's passing you by. He's passing by you for a decision that only you can make. That am I going to go my own merry way without him? Or am I going to follow him from this day forward? Others of you, you made that decision a long time ago. And you've been a believer. You've been a follower of Jesus. But there have been some things that maybe have crept into your life that have begun to hurt your fellowship with the Lord. And you know you're a Christian. You know you're a follower. You know you've got a relationship with God. But there's some things in there that still, they've created some of that old unsettledness that's created some of that old guilt again. Right? And maybe what, what's happening is that, that Jesus is passing by, in a sense, right? It's the Holy Spirit in you, to be more specific, who, who, who's drawing you back, drawing you back home to say, put that sin away and come home again. There's this amazing passage in John. You don't have to turn there, but John chapter 6, verse 44, where Jesus is speaking. And I'm going to begin to close with this because I love the way that he says it. He says in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me. Unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Why I love that verse so much is because there are both components of salvation are there. Jesus says that there's this component where we have to choose to come to him, right? We have to choose to follow him. He says, no one can come to me, but it's not just us choosing to follow. There's a part that God plays too. He says, unless the Father draws him. That's that picture of Jesus passing by. Maybe for, for you, you don't have that 100% assurance that, that I know I've got a relationship with God. I know that I'm going to heaven one day when I die. I know that he saved me, that he's forgiven me completely. Maybe you don't have that 100% assurance, but today you can drive that stake in the ground that if you sense that he is drawing you to himself today, that you can drive that stake in the ground and say, Jesus, today as an act of my will, I lay down my sin and I invite you to forgive me and to take over so that I can follow you from this day forward. And he says that beautiful picture that, 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 that as the Father draws, we come. And he tells us that all who come, he'll never cast out. So when was it for you that Jesus passed by? Did you follow him in that moment? And if you haven't, no better time than today. No better time than right now. No better time to start than here. To say, Jesus, I turn from my sin, forgive and take over. I follow you. Kathy met Jesus just a few weeks ago. She boldly stood in a baptistry to tell a room full of people that I'm proud to follow Jesus. Because a couple of weeks ago, Jesus passed by. She'll never be the same. Heads bowed and eyes closed, no one looking around. Maybe today, right where you sit, 
the Lord is at work in your heart today. Maybe there's a sense of unsettledness that you've carried for a while, that today, for the first time, he's given you clarity. That it's not that you need a different career or a different relationship or a different house or any of that. That there's something missing on the inside that only Jesus can fill. And maybe today, for the first time, you've realized, you know what, I've never given my life to Christ. And today, he's inviting you into that relationship. Maybe for you there's this overwhelming sense of guilt that is just driving you to the end of yourself. That you're so tired of having no peace and no joy and no hope and feeling just as though something is wrong on the inside. Maybe that's the Lord drawing you to himself today to say, you know what, I can take that sin and I'll remove it as far as the east is from the west. And you know what, I'll never hold it against you again. And there'll be no reason for you to carry that guilt around ever from this day forward if you'll only come to me. And maybe you've heard this message so many times you've lost count, but you've always walked away unchanged. But today, today there's something different that doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with the songs we sang. It has everything to do with that today God has spoken into your heart in unmistakable fashion to say this message is true and this message is for you. And you're ready to follow him. You're ready to leave this place a different person than you came in. You know, if that's you today, in the simplicity of this moment, right where you sit, you can do like I've done, you can do like many others have done, and you can express that desire to Jesus through a simple prayer. There's not one magical word in this prayer. It's the, it's the, it's the attitude of your heart that matters. You can pray something like this. You can say, Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. I know that my sin has separated me from God. But I believe that you are God and that you died for me and that you rose again. And that today, as an act of my will, I confess my sin, I turn from it, and I invite you to forgive me and to save me and to keep me from this day forward. Be my Savior, be my Lord. In your name I pray, amen. With heads still bowed, eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer today, and again, there's nothing magical about the words, but if you, if you express that desire to Jesus today, then what the Bible tells us is that you have just been made into a brand new person on the inside. That you've begun a brand new relationship with the God who created you. No longer is there separation. No longer is there isolation. No longer is there the, the sense of, uh, of something is missing or something is broken or something is wrong. That today, in this very moment, God has has healed all of that. And he's brought you into his family. And he's begun a relationship with you. And he's never going to leave you. And he's got a place waiting for you when this life is done that will blow you away one day in heaven. If you made that decision, no one looking, this isn't a part of your salvation, but if you made that decision today, I would love for you to take a moment before you leave to, to take one of those connection cards and and just check that top box on the reverse side for salvation that says that today you gave your life to Jesus. 
and we want to follow up with you and encourage you and to, to help you now in this brand new walk with the Lord. And you can just fill that out, drop it in one of these plates on your way out. And we want to celebrate with you. God, we thank you today for the decision that's been made by, I trust, numerous people in this room today. God, who are probably good people in many ways, generous and kind and helpful, who love their families and work hard. And yet on the inside, there was something out of place. And today, you've remedied that because you passed by and they chose to follow you, Jesus. Lord, give them boldness now to live for you and for each of us who are part of your family, God. Give us boldness to share this message to those who are so far from you so that they can know you as we do. Today, God, we praise only you for what you've done. Thank you for the truth of the gospel. Thank you for the reality of the gospel. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you that you still pass by. And may we follow you always. For it's in your name we pray.